Lord, we do utterly depend on your work, your grace to us. Thank you for making it like that, Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. We desire to spend time with you this afternoon, to see your face, to be in your presence, to be comforted by you, to be instructed by you, Lord Jesus, to be built up, Lord, like Mary, to sit at your feet and hear your word. So grant, Lord Jesus, that we shall be together in the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear ones, uh, seven months ago, uh, there was a point of departure that annoyed and provoked the Jews. They're talking about in our story. Uh, seven months ago, we got as far as chapter 8, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so look, just to recap, because we're going to move on from chapter 8 to chapter 9 today of John's Gospel. So we could probably turn it up. Um, I'll put that there. Um, so it was in chapter 5, the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus offended the Jews and, this, and the murderous intent was kindled among them. Uh, he healed on the Sabbath, and in the discourse that followed, they said, you make yourself equal to God. And so intense became the opposition that he backed off. And then in the next month, um, Passover month, he didn't go to Judea. Chapter 6, for that Passover, he was in Galilee. And, he, and there was that five or six months of fruitful labor in Galilee, um, that all the stories of the Synoptic Gospels are, are based around, sort of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those six or seven months in Galilee. Okay, that was chapter six. And then the Lord came back to uh, incognito, and he suddenly appeared. He said, no, you go up to the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. You go up. And then in chapter seven, he appeared. Uh, suddenly, he went up unknown, and he, that was seven months later. Okay, so we have the offense in chapter 5, the healing on the Sabbath, and in the subsequent discourse, you make yourself equal with God. And in chapter 7, he goes back to that. They bring up this issue of the Sabbath, and you're a sinner, and you're not doing and Jesus justifies himself. And it was not the Sabbath law of God that he had broken. It was their confection, their um, caricature of the Sabbath, all the codification of the rabbis. That's what he'd offended. He had been faithful to the Father. He wasn't a sinner. He hadn't gone against the Father's will. So that was chapter 7, the Feast of the Ten Hours. Chapter 8, same feast, same time. Chapter 9, probably, and if we could just turn to the end of chapter 8, probably the afternoon of this day. Here's where we got to, the end of last, um, the end of the last time we were together. Chapter 8. I'm telling you the solemn truth, replied Jesus, before Abraham existed, I am. So there was a, a direct announcement, really, of his divinity. Uh, before Abraham was, I am. And faced with that, they could do one of two things, really, as good Jews. 
they could either fall down on their faces and worship him or they could pick up stones and seek to stone him uh, so they picked up stones to throw at him but Jesus hid there would have been a bit of a crowd in the temple he hid and he left the temple can I just point out how far we'd come in an hour or two perhaps it was less perhaps it was half an hour an hour or two to half an hour have a look at chapter 8 verse 30 as Jesus said all this many Jews believed in him Okay, this is just an hour or so before the, 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 the intention to stone as Jesus had, as it was in the middle of this discussion in chapter 8 many of the Jews believed in him so Jesus spoke to the Judeans who believed in him if you remain in my word if you hold faithful to my word you are truly my disciples already and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free in that. Okay, so in the space of half an hour or an hour they'd gone from many of the Judeans believing in him they said that's good stick to, your, stick to my words stay faithful and you're my disciples truly they'd gone from that and this incipient faith had failed the test they didn't continue in his word um, when he started to say things that conflicted with their carnal aspirations with their fallen nature with their understanding they didn't stay, stay true to his word they said no and they failed the test so in a sense the faith of the Judeans was in jeopardy um, and it seems as if you can imagine, I don't know but we could imagine that the next phase chapter 9 of this conversation happened perhaps in the evening he came back when they'd calmed down a bit it seems to follow very closely have a look as Jesus was going along he saw a man who had been blind from birth it might have been that same evening we don't, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to have been now <clears throat> remember he'd uh, been out of Judea for seven months so what's this about he was blind from birth well I guess perhaps the disciples had discovered that this bloke whom they saw every day who sat begging and they said Jesus he's been blind from birth so he was a known figure oh yeah little um, what, what should we name him I was going to say Abdul I've just left my school of Islamics uh, uh, Daoud, we'll call him Daoud, shall we? This little man, did you know? I didn't know. Um, Arabic is, a, is an evolution of Aramaic. So, what the Ishmaelites and the Arabs speak, the le- Arabic is the language of Islam. It derives from Aramaic. Anyway, so we'll call him Daoud. So, this bloke, Daoud, who, he, he was a known figure. This bloke was born blind. Everyone knew. And they were passing by. Now, the disciples had a problem. How does it work? In their monotheism, suffering was the result of sin. Compute. He was blind from birth. Did he sin? That doesn't sound right. Did he sin in the womb? No. 
Did he, was God punishing him, punishing him uh, for sins that he was about to commit later? It didn't seem right. Or did his parents sin? Was he punishing the man because of his parents' sin? Well, that didn't seem right either. So they had to resolve the problem. You understand? They had, a, they had an established position that suffering was a result of sin. Full stop. And so they refer it to the Lord Jesus. What's the answer? And that's our starting point. Um, who, teacher, verse 2, his disciples asked him, whose sin was it that caused this man? Do you see that link? The cause was a sin. Whose sin that caused this man to be born blind? Did he sin? That doesn't seem to work out to us. Or did his parents sin? That doesn't seem to work out to us. And here's the answer. Verse 3. He didn't sin, replied Jesus, nor did his parents. It happened so that God's works could be seen in him. We must work the works of the one who sent me as long as it's daylight, daytime. The night is coming and nobody can work then. <laughs> Do you remember that the Lord said about the things he said? And the things he did. What was what did he say? Uh, you, you tell me. Forget me telling you. Remind me. What did the Lord Jesus say about the things that he said and the things that he did? Great things you do in my name. Sorry. No. All right. I didn't hear. Sorry. It's the greatest things you'll do in my name. Yep. That's not what I had in mind. It's one of these classic... Okay, here's what I'm thinking of. He said, the things that I speak, I I only speak to you the things I hear from the Father. The things I do, I only do the things the Father shows me. So Jesus wasn't a loose cannon or a lone gun or what's a lone something rather. He wasn't doing his own thing. And so, as the disciples asked Jesus this about this man, he said he knew he, the Father, I, I'm assuming, was talking to his heart. And, and he was saying, Son, you're to heal this man for my name's sake. Is that right? Is that just putting two together? I'm not trying to make a big established position. But if we can take Jesus at his word, that he only said the things that he heard the Father from the Father, that he only did the things that the Father showed him, it seems as if that as the disciples asked the question, this man blind from birth, who did it? And Jesus said, actually your monotheism is a bit mistaken. Look, that's the problem with doctrine and dogma. It's mostly wrong. A little bit's right. Paul said, let as if somebody thinks he knows something, he knows nothing yet, as he ought. And the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, um, we know in part, we prophesy in part. And that's the problem with dogma. It can make us think that we know. And we need to face the fact, mate, we don't know very much. And then monotheism was a bit upset with this suffering thing. He said, no, it wasn't the suffering, but... We got to do the work of God. And I got to work and do the works of God while it's day. That's while I'm on the earth. Jesus was going away. It was going to become dark in the sense that his presence, his light, wasn't there. But you've got to get on with the things. I can't wait for tomorrow. But you've got to do it today. Oops. What was today? Well, if you look in, and we'll come to it in a second, it was another Sabbath. All right? So you talk about not 
um, listening to the Jews, not getting the message. So he, he was about to heal this man. On, he couldn't wait for tomorrow. He's, he had to do the work, do the things the Father was showing him now at the time. Shall we read that on? That's, that's where we're headed. He didn't. Wasn't his parents. It happened so that God's works could be seen. And, the, and we must assume that at that moment, the Father was talking to his heart, saying, This one you must heal. We must work the works. We've got to do it now. We must work the works of the one who sent me as long as it's still daytime. The night's coming. We've got to get on with the job. The night's coming. Nobody can work then. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Alright? Verse 6. With these words, he spat on the ground and made some mud out of his spittle. It sounds suspiciously... Anyway, we'll come back to that. He spread the mud on the man's eyes. Off you go, he said, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went off and washed. When he came back, he could see. Now, he had never seen. Um, When he came back, he could see. Uh, Can I just... Without making a big thing. The pool of Siloam. This was at the tail end of which feast? The tabernacles. Okay? So it's the same feast, chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Same visit to Jerusalem. What, where had every day, every morning, there was a joyful procession from the temple. The priests carrying a golden pitcher, and where did they go? the pool of Siloam and they picked up a bucket full uh, a pitcher full of the water and they carried it back and they, were, they went mad with joy they were singing they were dancing with joy and they were hooting their trumpets and whatnot. and they brought it back to the temple and they poured it out every morning a libation the water from the pool of Siloam was poured out the pool of Siloam was uh, it was sacred to them it, came, it was from below the temple mount so issue from below the temple and it was an emblem to them of the blessings of God and the messianic promises it was emblematic of divine mercies, his favour to the people alright um, and somebody suggested we don't have to believe it but perhaps Jesus was trying to um, make the miracle less offensive by putting it in the context of something that they respected, the pool of Siloam I don't know but he made the he put mud on the bloke's eyes now if somebody puts a cake of mud in your eyes, how much can you see? you can't you've got a, you've got a mud cake, you've got a clay cake on your eyes, so you're blinded it's, a, it's an artificial blinding Am I right? Thank you. I, I, I think that if I had a mud cake on my eye, I wouldn't be able to see much. So, he added to the real blindness a symbolic one. And he added to, and he said, go away and wash this symbolic mud cake off your eyes uh, in the pool of Siloam. What did Jesus just said on that last day of the feast? As they, as they poured out the libation in the morning. I'm the rock that followed Israel. I'm the true rock. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In the same way that that rock was all about the life from, that issued from Jesus, he's saying, in the same way as Siloam, in a similar way, the water of Siloam is washing away the clay 
hat off your eyes. I am giving you healing. So, that's just an observation about um, the Pool of Siloam. It was a emblematic to help him understand and to claim the fact that Siloam does it, washes you with water, and washes away the figurative blindness. I'm the real Siloam, and I'll wash away your real blindness. So, he came seeing. That's... We'll move on from there. There's just a thought, so it doesn't seem so um, strange. Always seems strange to me. Off you go. He came back seeing. Verse 8. His neighbours and the people who used to see him begging remarked on this. Isn't this the man? Two classes of people. Neighbours and a wider group folk who could see, used to see him begging. Isn't this the man, they said, who used to sit here and beg? Yeah, it's him, said some of them. No, it isn't, some of the others said. It's somebody like him. So already there's this response to the work of the Lord Jesus. Yes, it was this bloke. Nah, it's just a lookalike, a doppelganger. No, it isn't. Something like him. But the man himself spoke. Yes, it is me, he said. Verse 10. Well then, they said to him, How did your eyes get opened? It was the man called Jesus who replied. He made some mud. Then he spread it on my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And I could see. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he replied. They took the man who had been blind and brought him to the Pharisees. The day Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Oops, there's a double problem. One, making mud sounds suspiciously like doing work, doesn't it? And two, uh, healing people on the Sabbath. We already know they didn't appreciate. This was further work. So we're back to the offence of chapter 5. But... Jesus didn't put it off for the next day. He said, I've got to get on with the job today, as the Father was showing him. <clears throat> they took the man who had been blind and brought him to the Pharisees. Verse 14, the day that Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So the Pharisees began to ask him again how he had come to see. He put some mud on my eyes, he said, and I washed, and now I can see. The man can't be from God, some of the Pharisees began to say. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Well, but, replied some of the others, how can a man who is a sinner do signs like these? So there was another fundamental tenet that these were works of God. God doesn't listen to the prayer of an unrighteous man. It was a work of God. God doesn't listen to the prayer of an unrighteous man. And so, he couldn't be a sinner. So you've got these conflicting views, depending on your starting point. One crowd said, he doesn't keep the Sabbath, therefore he's unrighteous, therefore it didn't happen. And the other bloke said, it did happen. God doesn't listen to sinners, so he must be a righteous man. And And so you have this division, depending on your starting point. Simple, isn't it? Um, 
we've got to be careful that we don't know too much, haven't we? Because we come to that at the end about blindness and knowing. Let's move on. <clears throat> well, they replied, how could a man who was a sinner do signs like these? And they were divided. So they spoke to the blind man again. What have you got to say about him? They asked. He opened your eyes after all. And he stated, he's a prophet, he replied. Um, and he stood up to this uh, group of people who were against Jesus, who had been going about to kill him, and without any fear, he said, he's a prophet. Um, and they didn't like it. Here's, here's how we go. The Judeans didn't believe that he really had been blind. Do you see the logic? No, 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 look. He's unrighteous because of this Sabbath thing. Therefore he's not of God. So therefore this didn't happen. He never was blind in the first place. It was a hoax. He was working with his Jesus fellow. It was great logic. Um, so they called the parents of the newly sighted man and put the question to them. Verse 19. Is this man really your son? They asked. Perhaps he was an imposter. Perhaps it was a, he was an actor paid for the afternoon. The one you say was born blind? How is it he can now see? Well, replied his parents, we know that he is indeed our son. Tick. And that he was born blind. Tick. But we don't know how it is that he can now see. And we don't know who it was that opened his eyes. Ask him. He's grown up. He can speak for himself. Do you think that the bloke might have talked to his parents and explained to them? Do you think he might have done? He'd been blind all his life. Do you think he might have had a conversation with them? During the afternoon? But rather likely. Do they, do they exhibit the same courage and adherence to truth as, his, as their son? They were passing the buck. We don't want to. We don't want to queer the pitch with these Pharisees. Well, no, I'm not going to get involved. Um, yep, yeah, he's our son. I can't. Uh, you, you understand? It wasn't very courageous, was it? Um, they would have known full well by now. I would think exactly what happened. The the the, 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 the story that the man had told on these pages three times already to different groups of Jews. Of course, he'd have told his parents, but they weren't willing to front up to it and to. What did Jesus say in the last chapter about the devil? There is no love of the truth in him. That uprightness of will that's prepared to embrace the righteousness of God. Well, so there's mum and dad. Let's make him answer. So for the second time, they called the man. Sorry, we missed out a little bit. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Judeans. The Judeans, you see, had already decided that if anyone declared that Jesus was the Messiah, they should be put out of the synagogue. The first step to excommunication. Um, Interestingly, this was known. There had been a meeting, a decision had been made, it was known. And they thought, we don't want to fall foul of the powers that be, the religious authorities... To stand up for Jesus. So they gave their lame answer. 
Are you prepared, dear ones, to fall foul of every authority and every opinion um, to be faithful to Jesus? Do it. Um, he'll pick up the pieces, he'll look after you, he'll correct you from your, from your excesses and unrighteousnesses and wrongnesses, but he'll see your heart that you're willing to hazard everything to be faithful to Jesus. Um, that's what he wants. He's, that's, what, that is what, that's what the love of God is. Father, I love you more than I love myself. I'm prepared to hazard everything just to please you, just to be faithful to you. Oops, did I get it wrong? Well, you saw my heart. I, um, how many times have we all been so wrong and all thought things that are so wrong and God sees our heart and he accepts our sillinesses sometimes uh, because he sees it in our heart we desire to worship him we might get it wrong it doesn't mean to say we're right just because we desire to worship him doesn't mean to say that we've got right judgment but he sees the heart's desire to worship him he's able to refine us and purify us and make us so that our judgment is better so that hopefully not hopefully so that by grace we live better this year than we lived last year um is that right? So that's the privilege for you and me to be able to walk through life um, seeking how to be faithful to Jesus. So, <clears throat> so <laughs> they call the bloke back again. Look, if, if, if perhaps if we ask him it all again, we'll get a different answer. Um, okay, verse twenty-four. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind. Give God the glory, um, which is a, a way of saying, repent of your um, unfaithfulness. You were calling this wicked man a prophet? No, give God the glory. Come back into line with correct dogma and proper orthodoxy. Get on God's side, man. Don't call this unrighteous man a prophet. That was the, implica- that was the import of that statement, by the way. Okay, so come back into the fold. Get back onto God's side. Stop calling him a prophet. Hmm. And and sparks start to fly. Well, I don't know. Were they sparks? It's very amusing. You love it. Come on, let's read it. Give God the We know that this man is a sinner. Don't you dare call him a prophet. We know. Now look, they are taking to themselves their authority as the learned. We are the Pharisees. They were a part of the... Sanhedrin, or some of them would have been Sanhedrinists. They were the, they were a dominant force in the Jewish religious scene then. It, for them, it was all about education, um, learning. Chapter seven, uh, we talk. Uh, they accuse the people who are believing in Jesus as being unlearned, an unlearned rabble, essentially. They don't know anything. They haven't got the learning. They don't know what's of God and what's not of God. Should we just... I have the, the verse. I don't want to read the whole chapter. We just read it to remind ourselves. Do you remember that phrase then? I have it writ, but I don't know where. 49, chapter 7, verse 49. We've got that idea coming out again. 
Netherlands spoke like this, the servants replied as they came back to him. So that's chapter 7, verse 46. They were in trouble. The servants had been told to nab him and bring him back. And they said, Netherlands spoke like this. And they had to go to him. At them. You don't mean to say that you've been taken in too, answered the Pharisees. None of the rulers or the Pharisees have believed in them, have they? Now you've got to do what we do, because we're the ones that know. We're the leaders. We're the educated ones. But this rabble that doesn't know the law, a curse on them. So that was the attitude. Um, Mate, you don't know, we do. We um, are the proper voice piece of God because we have studied Moses and the prophets. What they failed to understand was that they didn't understand a word of what they read and they missed out all the important bits and they came up with the wrong conclusions. But, we know. Fatal. You and I, we need to be careful. We don't know very much. Um, We know. It's a sure sign that um, we uh, are on dangerous ground, I think. So there's that idea of... So if we go back to our chapter... We know that this man is a sinner. You give God the glory, come off your blasphemy, don't call him a prophet. We're telling you what he is. Um, Verse 25. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, replied the man. Not for him to know. Very wise, much wiser position. All I know is this. I used to be blind, and now I can see. Ooh, dear. That's that awkward fact. Don't bother me with with the facts. I've already made up my mind. Okay. Verse 26. What did he do to you? They asked. How did he open your eyes? I told you already, the man replied. And you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And he starts to give it to them, as it were. He starts to um, poke fun at them. Irony. Do you want to become his disciples? Uh... Don't, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Verse 28. You are his disciple, Discoff, but we are Moses' disciples. Of course, what Jesus had demonstrated to them, to their deaf ears, over the last uh, seven months, was that they were not Moses' disciples. They denied the spirit of Moses. They denied Abraham. They they didn't read and understand properly. Everything that Moses and Abraham said and did, they misunderstood and were against. So they thought they were Moses' disciples. But they got it all wrong. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this man comes from. Aha, clang. Verse 30, this ignorant man gives it to them. Well, here's a fine thing, replied the man. You don't know, all you people who know everything, all you religious experts, you don't know where he's from. And he opened my eyes. We know, and here's the logic. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is devout and does his will, he listens to them. And that was just simple Jewish teaching. That was the catechism. That's what they were all taught. If you're righteous, God will listen to you. If you're a sinner, God will not listen to you. So he was just giving them back the accepted religious view of the time. 
but if anyone is devout and does his will he listens to them it's never ever heard been heard of before that someone should open the eyes of a person born blind if this man wasn't from God he couldn't do anything you were born in sin from top to toe they replied and are you going to start teaching us and they threw him out it wasn't a very strong argument was it um, in the face of the fact they had nothing to say but to bluster insult and throw him out well I found it a very warming and amusing interchange verse 34 30, 35 Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out he found him and spoke to him Jesus heard that they'd thrown the man out I guess that means that he had some report of what transpired in that meeting so he would have heard this man stood up to the authorities and said he's a prophet and he owned Jesus' name now having received physical sight it seems that the Lord well, he sought him out he went to find him he'd heard of his faithfulness he went to find him it's time for the next step my man you've got physical sight it's time now uh, well let's see what he says Do you, isn't that lovely Jesus understands he accepts our worship he accepts the um, aspiration in our spirit to please him he accepts our adhesion to truth um, doesn't mean to say that it's perfect but what is there that is good he, he accepts and can work on so he, well, after he'd found him so he'd heard about it and he'd found him do you believe in the son of God our bibles have the son of man um, some people say that, the, that there's a, the, the best uh, manuscripts have the son of God how I to decide I don't know but um, it doesn't change our story very much I'd like to just try the son of God in there if you don't mind do you believe in the son of God he asked and who is he sir now the man had already dobbed himself in because he'd said that he was a prophet so armed with this he only had he only had one thing to do which was to listen to the words of the prophet and obey either that or become go into open conflict with God fair enough, he already said he's a prophet and so he was bound now either to enter open conflict with God or to listen to the prophet and obey <laughs> he was stitched up um, and so do you believe in the son of God he asked and who is he, asked the man so that I can believe in him you've seen him no. this bloke hadn't seen anyone since he was born <laughs> you've seen him ah. and in fact it's the person who's talking to you now that's an extraordinary statement he's a prophet and now he said this is the son of God that's talking to you um, he already conceded that he'd become from God and so he was bound to accept it and accept it he did yes sir said the man 
I do believe and he worshipped him the word there is to fall down on his face thank you Lord <laughs> isn't that a different response from the learned isn't that a different response from those religious experts whose religious expertise had actually kept them from the truth we know oh be careful of what you know brother and sister um, let's come to him saying Lord I don't know anything please will you teach me uh, and he worshipped him hallelujah verse 39 I came into the world for judgment which is interesting because in chapter 3 he said I did not come to judge the world um, it's not active he will be he will judge but he didn't come he didn't, he didn't say here I came into the world to judge in chapter 3 he said I came not to judge the world but that the world through me might be saved here I came into the world for judgment in other words it was his appearance caused consequential judgment Jesus wasn't judging but his appearance resulted in judgment they either those who were of the light went to him and those who were of darkness retreated from him that wasn't him doing the judgment that was a consequence of him appearing in the world I came into the world for judgment so that those who can't see would see can we have a look in Luke 10 and you'll notice that we're nearly at the end of the chapter sorry Luke 10 uh, verse where should we go let's just go to verse 21 then and there Jesus celebrated in the Holy Spirit I thank you Father he said Lord of heaven and earth you hid these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babies yes father that was what you graciously decided everything has been given me by my father can I suggest to you that those people that received the revelation of God these babies were the ones that were blind for judgment that those who do not see by the way um Jesus didn't use the word blind of them just that they do not see the faculty of sight wasn't yet developed it's a different word for the wise Uh, the babes the blind sorry, those who don't see the ones who say I don't know like that bloke I don't know whether he's a sinner or not I'll tell you this I can see Um, no man can do that except God be with him so he can't be a sinner Okay, I came to the world for judgment so that those who can't see the babes they didn't know they didn't, they didn't arrogate to themselves superior knowledge about the things of God because they read and misinterpreted the scriptures they just said we don't know I came so those sorts of people the babes should see I thank you Father that you've revealed these things to the babes and you've withheld them 
You've kept them from the wise. And that was the second part of the judgment. And so that those who can see, we know, they said, will become not not seeing, but blind. The faculty, the organs of sight would fail. What sight they had would cease. That they become blind. Do you see that? A bit of a difference? They, they can't see. They will see. The ones who can see, they lose the faculty of sight. They become blind. Some of the Pharisees were nearby and they heard this. So they said, we're blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus said, um, using that perhaps in the first sense, if you couldn't see, you wouldn't be guilty. But now, because you say, we can see, and knowing what Moses has said, your sin remains. You become Christ rejectors. Uh, and really, this marks a departure. Jesus leaves the Judeans to their own thing. And for the rest of the, the, the remaining chapters in the book, he concentrates, and John concentrates, and Jesus concentrates on the little flock. Feeding, bringing to strength, nurturing the few who have faith, which will be the germ of the new association in the resurrection, in, uh, after his resurrection, and after the day of Pentecost. So he leaves the Judeans to their own thing. They're, they're blind. They say they know, they're blind, and, and the discourse stops, it changes. And we instead, we go to the nurturing of the disciples, getting them ready for that cataclysm in their lives, that wrenching, where the one whom they started to believe in, they, 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 it, the one um, for whom faith had been kindled in their heart, was going to be torn from them. And there's going to be a time when he's going to leave them alone. And he prays, Father... I've kept them while I was in the world. Now I'm coming to you. Keep them. Till the day of Pentecost. I won't leave you alone. I'll come to you. When Jesus came back to live in them. So there's that period of time. Um, so he was getting them ready for that wrench. Where he was taken from them. And they were going to be possibly at the mercy of the world. And he prayed in chapter 17, you remember, I kept them while I was in the world. Now, Father, I'm coming to you. Keep them. But then, of course, Jesus came back to live in their hearts by the Spirit, so that now he keeps us. Uh, and so he, he leaves the Judeans and their blindness to themselves. And the rest of the book concentrates on the nurturing, the building of faith, the development of faith. And that's what we've seen all the way through. It's about the development of of faith in the few and the development of unbelief in the nation. Look, um, didn't sound. It was it's chapter nine. It, um, I'm glad. I hope that you've been blessed just to be in the presence of Jesus and to walk with Him and uh, think about Him and learn about Him. Lord, what were you doing? What were you saying? We worship him. Let's just open our hearts now and uh, draw a close on that one. Lord, we love you. We need you. Make us 
like those simple people, that simple man who, in the face of opposition, didn't know very much, but he knew that you are the great I am. Or he didn't even perhaps know all of that, but he knew that you were from God. Lord, we know so much more in that sense, but make us like him. Folk who love truth, folk who are willing to be faithful to Jesus, whatever it costs us, come what may. Oh Lord, and so be glorified. We love you, Father. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We want to hear more of you. We want to think more of you. We want to walk more with you. Lord, bless the saints, we pray. Lord, the folk that are gathered here, let the work of Jesus be magnified in each of us. Lord, thank you for thou art real. Thank you that your work is real. Thank you that the fruit of your work is real. And that you yield through your dealings to us the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And you make us fit and able to stand before you and walk in fellowship with the eternal God. Oh Lord, thank you. Please convert our hearts, convert our minds, that our thinking be transformed, even as you talked about and and wrote from Paul. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Lord, as we gather together, as we walk in fellowship together, let that be the thing that happens more and more, that we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, that our thinking and our inner man changes. And so we become more blessed and more pleasing to you. Amen. Amen.